so there's enough people that have not been here for the last year or so that I, think, I feel like this is worth stating where we are this morning. We've been in Matthew since January 16, um, been walking through the, the whole book of Matthew, um, sometimes taking big chunks at a time, sometimes going one verse at a time. Um, but it's been really, really good just to see this, the life of Jesus and how he's continued to work. And so like this morning, we're in Matthew 15. If you want to go ahead and be turning to Matthew 15, we're going to be kind of all over the place this morning, but for the most part, we're going to sit in Matthew 15, 21 through 28. I think in this text, we see a lot of different things. We see there's so much that, that could be said, but I really think we come, we come back to these two things. This, these two big ideas that I think is being taught here. We see what genuine, true humility looks like. And then we're going to also see God's eternal purposes, that, that He's working. And we're going to see how those two go hand in hand very, very well. That as we see more and more about Jesus' eternal purposes, we see the way that God has worked, the way He's planning to work, and how this, our only response is in humility. I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew 15, 21 through 28. We got our computer back, so it should be um, working. Awesome. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 15, but it'll be up on the screen as well. Verse 21. And Jesus went from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. We see so much, so much here that I think has some people questioning, how is what is Jesus' character like if he's denying this woman who's coming to him asking for mercy? You see, like, wait, why is this God's plan that just to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Why, why, why is that God's plan? But then we also see true faith. We see true mercy. Verse 21 says that he, he, left, this, he left the land. He went away from there. And this was the land of Genesaret where he had been last week. Um, well, as, as we went through the text last week. And he came to the land of Tyre and Sidon. We've heard these two places before. If you remember, it would have been last year at some point, when we were in Matthew um, 11, that Jesus actually refers to these as he's saying, Woe to you. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. This is actually in Matthew 11, 21 through 22. And it's up here on the screen. But he's calling out these two places, comparing them to Tyre and Sidon, where he's at today. 
So woe to you, Torres, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. These two cities that he was in today, it says he came to these two regions. These two cities are Gentile areas. He's been preaching, teaching, healing, all this stuff in mainly Jewish areas up to now. And, that, and, that, and that's the big difference. He goes away from there. And he comes to these areas that would have been deep in their pagan worship, deep in their surrounded by pagan gods. But he left the Jews. He left the Jewish region, which is really interesting for what we're going to talk about today. But if you remember, what did Jesus, back in Matthew 10, as he sent out his disciples, he said, Don't go, go nowhere among the Gentiles. Stay among the lost sheep of the people of Israel. So then Jesus, but he's, he, he's leaving this area. He's going, at least for this week, next week he's going to kind of, or the next stop after here is back to the Jews. But so he's in this land of people that, it's not the Jewish people, it's not the people that have grown up learning all about the God of the Old Testament. These are not the people that he's with today. Listen to this woman, this woman that comes to him. It's in verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is extremely, is severely oppressed by a demon. This seems to be the right way to come to Jesus, right? It seems to be crying out for mercy, saying, calling him the son of David, calling him Lord. It's, it's seemingly the right way. But Jesus doesn't respond. And I think it begs to ask the question, why? why? Why does Jesus not respond to her? The disciples, however, they do respond. They respond to Jesus saying, like, why, why aren't you doing anything? They say, send her away for she's crying out after us. Based on Jesus' response, what it seems like is they were saying, heal her. Just do it so she'll go away. Be good to her. Do as she asks so she'll go away. This isn't kind of the major point of what I'm getting at, but I think you see the, the difference in Jesus' compassion that he continues to have on crowds regardless of their motives. He can, he's continuing to heal people in spite of that, in spite of their just wanting healing, in spite of their not really wanting him as the true Messiah. But then you have the disciples just wanting her to go away. It's a good thing we're following Jesus and not the disciples. Like, I just think, man, like, that's not our motive. That can't be why we love the people around us. Like, if people come and have needs, that can't be why, to get them to go away. That, that, that's not the heart that Jesus continued to serve people with. And that's just kind of like a little side note, I think. But listen, what does Jesus say when his disciples come and say, send her away? She's crying out after us. Jesus' response is puzzling. I'm on the wrong page. I was, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
I read a lot this week. People that were saying, well, Jesus is just a racist. He's, he's only concerned about the people of Israel. Or he's just as nationalist. It's all about Israel. It's always caring about. And there's some crazy things. Some, oh, it's just, I don't understand it. But what you see is that Jesus' earthly minister, he said, I'm here for the house of Israel. I'm here for God's chosen people that, that he chose long ago. But that it's never about his chosen people. That's, that's not what it's about. And we're going to see that all throughout this morning. I'm going to go back to something that, that God promised Abraham in the Old Testament. He said, I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to make your name great. But he also told him in Genesis 12, I don't have this verse on there. In you, through you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there was, there was from the very beginning, as God was making a people, there was always a promise that it was going to be through all the nations. This was through, for the glory of his name among all the nations. I do have Psalms 86, 9 through 10. Listen to this. It says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So this is, this is always the plan. All the nations that God has made will come and worship, and they shall glorify His name. But then you see, throughout the Old Testament, God continued to work for His people. That God was working. He, we, we read last, we've been reading on Sunday nights, um, back last year, read through Exodus, through Leviticus, through Deuteronomy, and we see that, that God was continuing to work with His people. He was growing His people and making a big nation out of them. But it was all God working. It was all God guiding and directing his people. But then Jesus tells the woman at the well, salvation is for the Jews. And it seems that it confuses a lot of people. Paul in, in Romans 11 says that the Jews are an olive tree with, with God as the root. But also the Gentiles are also grafted into this. So the Gentiles do have to come into play somewhere. And I think that Paul kind of teaches, why is Jesus focusing on the Gentiles? Or on the Jews, sorry. Why has is, why is Jesus come preaching to the Jews, calling the Jews to repentance, being only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel? This is in Romans 15. If you want to flip there, it's in Romans 15, verse 8 and 9. And I think Paul teaches why this is. It says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You see, God had promised long ago what he was going to do with Abraham's family. He was going to make them great. He was going to send the Messiah through them, through that family. And Jesus going to the Jews was the fulfillment of this promise, was showing God as faithful. But through this, Paul says that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy because God was faithful to his promises. This was going to be 
a reason that the, that the Gentiles would glorify God. And I think this makes sense that what kind of message is it to go and preach to the Gentiles about God who hasn't been faithful to his original promises or to his original people that he said promised all throughout the Old Testament what he was going to do, how he was going to protect them, how he was going to grow them, how he was going to make his name great through them. And I think this makes sense. But this doesn't satisfy the woman. She still, she comes begging him, Lord, help me. And here's a real puzzling response from Jesus. He says, but it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Sounds kind of insulting. It sounds like Jesus is insulting her and saying, you're not worthy of this. You're just a dog. I don't think it's an insult as much as he's being very blunt with her and telling, telling her in words that she's going to understand in this culture. Because the Gentiles were often referred to as dogs, as, as not being worthy. It was just, that was common language among the Jews, among the Gentiles. And he's being very blunt with her and saying, you're not a Jew. And I think her response is absolutely phenomenal. Listen to, listen to her response. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Other than Jesus stepping out of heaven, becoming a servant to all that he didn't have to do, I don't know that there's a better or a more humble response to Jesus in the entire Bible. I don't think there's a better picture of humility here. Because based on who this woman was, she would have grown up worshiping other gods. She would have been grown up in a pagan culture. She would have undoubtedly probably gone, already have gone to her, to her gods, to their temples, to their doctors, to all these things. And yet... When God says, when Jesus tells her, you're not worthy, you're a dog, she says, you're right. She doesn't argue at all. She knows that she's not good enough to deserve anything he's giving. She goes right with his analogy. You're right. She knows that God doesn't have to save her. She knows that Jesus doesn't have to do anything for her just based on her response. But she knows that she's at the mercy of Jesus. And the, just the, by very definition, mercy is something that you don't deserve. She knew she was asking for something that she didn't deserve. She, but she was persistent. She was persistent not because she knew she deserved it. She was persistent in her faith. She was persistent. Matthias is listening very closely. Sorry. Um, she's persistent, though, because she wants Jesus that much. She continues to ask him because she knows that he has the only thing that can save her, that can save her daughter. 
You're going to say amen next. <laughs> okay. But I think this is the posture that God wants. This posture of, I am not worthy of what you're giving. I'm not worthy of you saving me. But do we ever get to that point? Not just, not just a one-time thing. Not just this moment where we receive salvation. But are we there where we realize that we don't deserve Jesus? Not just a one-time thing, but this posture of we don't deserve Jesus. Look, look, look at Jesus' response to this posture. O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This interaction right here is so much different than the, the interactions of Jesus we've seen over the last weeks and months of the Pharisees, of the Jews, coming and saying, look what we're doing. We're doing these good things. Look at us, the laws we're following. This week as I was studying and reading, I kept asking myself two questions. The first was, why was this woman not offended? Why was this woman not offended by Jesus saying, you're a dog? You're, you don't deserve this. You're, you're, you're a Gentile. Why was she not offended? I, don't, I still don't get that. Why was she not offended? Because everything that we're taught is that if someone tells you you don't deserve something, you do deserve it. You can do it. Don't let anyone tell you what, what you aren't, what you are, what you aren't. We're taught to be, we're offended if people tell us these things. But I think what we continue to see is that this is not how Jesus works. This is not how he moves. That proud people, people that think they deserve it, people that think they've got it, rarely find themselves in submission to Jesus because they don't need to, or so they think. But the second question I was asking is, why do the people with seemingly the least understanding, why do people with the least prior knowledge of Jesus, why is it continually them that have the greatest faith? Why isn't it the Pharisees who have been so busy studying the law why is it not the rest of the Jews that have grown up hearing about God, hearing the promises? And I think that people were so caught up in who they thought they were as God's chosen people that they were not seeing, they were not coming to a place where they really saw their sin. And that's part of salvation, is realizing the depths of our sin. This woman realized this. This woman realized. She didn't try to say, it's not fair that I wasn't born a Jew. Or you should make an exception to this case because my daughter so greatly needs healing. All she did was come and say, call Jesus Lord. Acknowledge, his, acknowledge him as the son of David. But in her humility, she does. She comes to Jesus and knowing that he is the only one that can heal her daughter. She, he's the only one that can do this thing that she so desperately needs. I read a quote this week that I think 
is really good about humility. This is Louis Giglio. He says, humility is not trying to be humble. It's not trying to be little. Humility is just seeing God as he is. Pride is seeing ourselves as something we're not. Because I think this is it. If, If we realize really who God is, then our posture is much different. If we realize that that God made this entire world, He made the country, He made this church, He made us, if we realize that He did all of this for His own glory, not for ours, if we realize that, that God made some things to display His goodness, He made certain things to display His power, to display His patience, to display His wrath, to display His character. But it's not for us. That's what it keeps coming back to. Just like in Psalms, it was for His glory. If we see God as this big, that God is working things for His purposes, not just for us, not just so we might merely just love Him, but He's working all this for His glory. This woman does not make any claims about herself. All she does is say, Jesus, you're right. That's all I am. I've I'm a dog. I don't deserve this. I'll take whatever you give me in your mercy. It's just a remarkable interaction that I think there's a, there's a very good reason why it's here in Matthew. Because of all the Gospels, Matthew was written to Jewish Christians. It was written directly to Jewish Christians who had grown up as Jews, as God's chosen people, and yet... He's talking about this faith of this Gentile whose heart was not saying like the Jews of, well, we deserve this because look at us. But this Gentile saying, look at Jesus because I'm nothing. I can't do this. I, this is all I am. The contrast between last week Last week we saw the, the Pharisees coming and saying, but you're breaking our laws. Your, your disciples are not following the laws of the elders. And then Jesus talked about what really defiles a person. And we saw that what happens when people rely on their own actions, which the Pharisees have been doing, but Jesus was saying, no, your heart is no different than it was. Your heart is still in sin. Your actions are trying to do the right things, but that's not what God wants. And this week we see a woman who's come not relying on her own actions, not relying on her own anything. But it's coming, she's on, she's gone to her knees saying that Jesus is the only one that can truly give her mercy. But I think all of this comes out of a knowledge, comes out of a realization of who God is. Because humility is not trying to think of ourselves small, just like Louis Giglio's quote said. It's of thinking God is big. And yet, God is big. God is sovereign. God is in control somehow, for some reason, chose to send Jesus to reconcile the world to himself through Jesus But that was for his glory, not for ours. 
continue to see that through the whole Bible, that it's, it's all for his glory, not for ours. Ephesians 1 is possibly one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Just makes so much of God, God as big, God as in control, God is working things together for his glory. So flip with me to Ephesians 1. It's up on the screen, and I've, I don't usually do this, but I've gone through, and if this wasn't a book or something, it would say in parentheses, highlights are mine or italics are mine. But I've, I've changed the color on some things, really try to focus in on some of the words that I don't want us to miss. But Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been, been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Like, do we see this? That this is all not for us. It's all for the praise of His glory. Like, that's not something we run away from. That's not an idea that makes much of us or says that we deserve this or say that that, oh, we're saved, look at us. But it should give us a right picture of God, that, that God, as in control, is working things together for His purpose, but it's all for the praise of His glory. This woman said, no, I keep saying it over and over, but didn't say anything about herself. In her humility, realized that she couldn't do it. And I don't know that's a posture that we have. Like, do we ever get to a point when we really are on our knees, whether it be literally or whether it be figuratively a posture of our heart, saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Not talking about a one-time thing. Not talking about this moment of salvation, but a lifestyle of being on our knees saying, God, we don't deserve this. We are a Gentile. We are a sinner, just like this woman. We're no different. Do we realize that is our hope? Just like she was saying, our hope is any mercy 
that God might give us. But that God in His mercy did. That God did send Jesus to die to reconcile us to Himself. Christ reconciled us to Himself. All according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. I just don't want our, that to be a one-time thing. Even Whether that be something that you've never experienced or whether that be, well, I, I've been a Christian for so long, since I was five, since I was six, whatever it be. This is a lifestyle. This is a, a posture of our hearts that can very well lead to a physical posture of being on our knees because we, don't, because we realize that God, working everything together for His glory, for the sake of His glory, has chosen to reconcile us to Himself. That He sent Jesus to do this. All to the praise of His glorious grace. You just can't get away from that. That it's all about Him and not about us. And I want us to realize that like this woman. Where he said, oh woman, how great is your faith. Because she acknowledged him, not herself, not her works, not her upbringing as a Jew. I just pray that that would be the posture of our hearts. That it's all about him working for his glory. And that we would worship him. Because that's what it's about. The praise of his glory. The praise of his grace. Because we're worshiping God. And I just want that to be our response. That to be the posture of our hearts. Let's respond.